if you hear intermittent pitter patter, that's because my my mother's dog is in here. His name is Charles. <laughs> Christopher's mom. Hi, mom. Hey, boy. <laughs> My name's Chris, and I am an addict, alcoholic, in recovery. <sighs> Do you think we're Jewish? <laughs> So my mom, according to our genealogy, says that they traced us back to Constantine. Really? Mm-hmm. The guy from DC Comics? <laughs> the guy that, the conqueror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually familiar. Let's go back to the early years when Michael passed away. Like, how much older is Michael than me? So Michael was born in 85. Okay, so I was born in 87. That doesn't seem quite right because dad was only in the army for two years. Right. I think he was just about to get out. So you were born in February and that's when he got out. And we, I think we transferred everything to Idaho. And then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when he went to New York. We'd have to go back to his journals. Do you know what I'm talking about? I always think of that photo of me sitting on grandma's lawn and I oh, yeah. was maybe like six months old just based off of. Photos that I've seen of babies, I would say <laughs> six months at the most. So six months after February, yeah, that would have been like August. I think that summer you guys went to New York for a stint. Probably. The, the trauma that comes with losing a child. I mean, what, what did you guys do to, like, did you ever seek professional help like see counselors or psychologists or anything no i i went on my own journey um dad handled it a lot differently than i did because he said to me it didn't happen to me michael's the one it happened to uh <clears throat> and i only saw him uh cry a couple of times about it one was um sean brought it up when we were out in the car one day mm. and wanted to talk about michael and the sparkles on his face and and, and Sean started crying and dad lost it. He had to get out of the car. <laughs> oh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. People are, I mean, I get that we're not normal in the way that we laugh, but that's a coping mechanism for us. So, folks, if you hear us laughing where it seems like we should be crying at certain points. It's a, it's a just a reflex. Yeah, in our world, it's the same thing. So, I mean, you went on a personal journey in, in what way? In that, so I, I always been brought up to believe that um, God wouldn't give you anything that you couldn't handle. And when we moved to Tacoma, um, I think um, before I had him, even I was with church ladies, and some lady had her, two or three children, and they would stop breathing. Just so she constantly had they had to be on monitors when they were babies and then constantly, I don't know how long it was before they stopped doing that. And I said these words that would never happen to me. God would never do that to me because I couldn't handle it, which is kind of like foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like to do this in those situations. There are we're nearing eight billion people on the planet. 
when you look at a, uh, a math game, um, you know, like the likelihood of someone being struck by lightning is very, very, very low. But if someone were to say, what kind of idiot gets struck by lightning and then that guy gets struck by lightning? Yeah. <laughs> it's because there's 7 billion opportunities for somebody to get struck by lightning. So I don't think that, and this is under the guise that God exists. I don't think God actually intends for those specific things to happen. I think he, right. He those, has those are these, things I had to learn though. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he has these 7 billion uh, entities and yeah, mathematically, things are just going to happen. Things are going to happen. So. Yeah. And, you know, over the years, I learned that if you believe in God and you believe that he has all power, there's nothing that you can't handle with him helping you. It, it seemed like it happened al alarmingly more often than in other years, like around that time, like early 90s, late 80s. Seemed I, I can't believe how many people I've met who said that they, they... They lost somebody like that. I ended up having a visiting teaching partner that had lost a daughter. She had sons and here was her daughter and she was five months. She laid her down and... Or no, she was sitting on her lap. That was it. She had to, she had to go to the hospital and they had to unplug her and all that kind of stuff because they Jesus. tried to... Yeah. So when it happened was um you know the most horrific feeling you could ever have and i had to i had to go get a shot that day to stop my milk from producing i couldn't oh god yeah and uh i, I went to church with a lady whose baby was born the same day and i had to see that baby all the time <laughs> but anyway um dad was so good. He still does it. He reads up on things and what needs to be done, you know, and the feelings that are going to happen. So he, he knew that I needed to get out of the house. So he signed me up for a, for a dance class <laughs> with, with the officer's wives. And, um, that did help get me out. But, um, <clears throat> I spent a lot of time asking people about death. Mm. So I was a, so the night that it happened. So he he wasn't a good sleeper. Like infants aren't good sleepers. And the night um, it happened, I'd been you know weeks without sleep. We got up and I nursed him. I fell asleep in the chair nursing him. And then I woke up and he's asleep. And I go, oh. so I carefully took him back to the room and laid him down in his crib. And he liked to be real bundled. And went to the bathroom and I heard him make a noise. I went, oh no, he's waking up again. And then it stopped. And I was relieved because I was going to climb into bed. It was the first night we had a you know night's sleep. I got up and was uh, helping a friend <clears throat> clean houses. And uh, have I told you this story? Do you want to hear the story? Is that I, part I, of this? I think <laughs> the reason why <laughs> I, I think it's part of it is because my... I have uh, uh, an inclination that you you never, or at least for a long time, had not professionally got help for the trauma that you had been through. Yeah, no. And I think the reason why I, I say that is because your perception of why life is so valuable uh, was heightened 
and mm. the the concept of uh, appreciation um, that we should have and the arguments that we would have um, where I ultimately lost faith, I think because anything that goes against the idea that you would ever that you would never be able to see Michael again, or that there's, you know, somebody who would want to live in a way that they would never be able to go and see their loved ones again, um, hit you a lot harder. And, and it felt more personal when people would talk in those ways. Does that make sense? So if somebody's acting in, <clears throat> not in accordance with certain right, things, doesn't believe the same thing. Yeah. It, it, I used to take offense to a lot of things. I was, I've always been super, sensitive it's been very nice getting old and mellowing yeah <clears throat> but i i think like i said i think the the it was it was heightened because you were a little it was a little more for you than i think um other parents because you have this real world example of how precious life is and how much it means to um I, I sounds cliche do right by God, but like to live in a way that would allow you to be able to, to see this person again, seems worth the sacrifice of these oh, other I things. See. That makes sense. When I was growing up, what, what did my childhood look like in comparison to like Sean and Scott's and. Oh yeah. So part of the, part of losing Michael was, um, all those times that we'd sit down and stare at him and say, oh, I can't wait till he does this or he does that. You know, and we'd done that with the, with, you know, the other boys too. <clears throat> and so when he left, first of all, I thought he left because he hated me. Is that a weird thing? No. <laughs> I, I mean, the, you think about like, um, when you're sleep deprived, uh, the, that's why like people think it's funny that, you know, uh, doctors say, don't shake your baby. But when you're sleep deprived and you start to go, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> like people, you know, will slap the hood of a car or like do all of these things yeah. to inanimate objects. Imagine. Yeah. You don't know. What, you don't so, know what's... so you take things personally yeah. because you think that you're sacrificing all of these things. You know, this... I wrapped them too tight or, you mm -hmm. know, something. Anyway, so, yeah, I didn't think I wanted to have another baby. I, I think I'd, I, um, but uh, little by little, I talked to people that had lost people. I looked at people that I knew had lost someone differently. Because it's, it's so um, heart-piercing and mind-raking. So I, um, when he made that noise and then didn't make a noise again, <clears throat> and I, the neighbor got me and I, her husband had the baby in the car and he drove us to the hospital and, you know, I picked him up and shook him and <laughs> to try and startle him. And I um, tried CPR and the guy that was driving said, see if something's stuck in his throat. I, you know, did all that kind of stuff. When we got to the emergency room, there was nobody around waiting. I ran in and said, help me. And these doctors said, room, 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 room. And they grabbed the baby and went in the other room. And as he was going away, there's blood coming out of his nose. 
and they take you to they put you in a room and dad was he's probably told you the story about how they couldn't he couldn't get him to let him go to the hospital to be with us no no so he was they they contacted his commanding officer she had him come into her office and then told him and they have you know levels of things that they have to say and all that and then his sergeant and some other guy put him in a car and took him to the hospital and we're trying to find a place to park. And finally he just said, let me out. Mm. <laughs> so I was alone except for the neighbor. And he tried to hug me to tell me, you know, to say, I'm so sorry or whatever. And I said, I don't, I don't need a hug. I need you to, I need you to go back and tell people what happened because I, I won't be able to talk about this. <clears throat> so dad got there and then a doctor and it must have been two doctors and they were like lieutenants or something and they came in one was a woman and she was kind of shaken up and the um and he said your baby's gone and she started to say i think you she's <laughs> and it just all i just said i knew it i just lots of crying and the guy <laughs> like did this to her or something. I don't know why she would I think people sometimes assume you've done it. So uh -huh. then I thought everybody thought I did it. And, you know, and then we had to wait for the autopsy. And anyway. I didn't want sympathy. I didn't want to go to a professional. I didn't know about doing that. I didn't know what was available to me. But there were support groups and they kind of encouraged me to go to that. And I just wanted to stop crying. I wanted to stop um, having no control over my emotion. I'd sit in the bathroom at night after your brothers were asleep with a, with a razor wondering if... So when he cried, I thought maybe it hurt when he died. And I wasn't holding him. I thought, what a terrible thing. This is the plight, I think, of our family is tragedy and this wanting for things to just stop. Um, on our terms, it's probably human nature, but, um, I didn't like being a statistic. Hmm. There's a, you know, and I, sometimes I would be introduced like when we moved to Oregon, the Relief Society president introduced me. She lost her baby. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I just, I just talked to everybody I could about what they went through. I didn't want to go sit and cry with a bunch of people. I wanted to get, I wanted to get help. <clears throat> and finally, I talked to my brother-in-law, Chris, who was visiting and um, he talked about his dad dying of cancer. 
And he said he was worried that it hurt too. You cut out my swallowing? Yeah, it's disgusting. (laughs) 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 He said he was in the room. His dad was laying in the bed and he said he fell asleep. And he said all of a sudden he could see the room from the ceiling. Chris fell asleep? Chris fell asleep. I gotcha. He could see the room from the ceiling. And then he woke up. His dad was gone. He said, I felt like it was mercy thing where I was allowed to leave my body. So I know knew that it didn't hurt to pass. And that really, really did the world of good for me. Yeah. That guilt that took away that guilt of him me not holding him when he died. If it was painful. So then you came along. <laughs> and I mean, so did you, did you know there's a, it's going to seem out of nowhere, but there's a reason. Um, did you know about your, your dad's drinking at, at this point or when, oh, yeah. when did you learn about? No, my dad talked about that. It was a bragging point. So <laughs> when, when this happened, did you entertain the idea of attempting of to drink? Substance. Yeah. Mm. No, I, as a teenager, I'd, I'd gone down that road a little bit mm-hmm. and I never liked the feeling. I liked being in control of myself. Sure. I, I understood that I didn't want to feel this way anymore, but I didn't think about. I, I assume that's probably how you looked at it, but Charles. So. Time begins to move on, and I don't know at what point it started to happen, but I must have grasped early on what it meant for Michael to be gone. Because um, when you're young, you kind of don't really... There's no, there's no like connecting point for that. But I could just feel that there was importance around the name itself. The first like memory that I have of why is everyone pretending that, that we're okay is when at the first time that I can remember at least going to, to his gravesite. Is that an, uh, I don't Yeah. First time going to his gravesite and just kind of looking around and, and thinking why nobody should be, why are we, why aren't we crying? Yeah, nobody should be okay right now. That's so interesting because I remember going to a funeral when I was young and people were laughing and I thought that was deplorable. How do you say it? Applorable. Appalling. Appalling and deplorable. Deplorable? <laughs> deplorable, appalling. Apporable. Apollo 13. <laughs> so having that feeling, I would experience this sense of like why am I the only one that feels like this right now and forever to to finally come around to uh what that actually meant and it was really frustrating to try and get back to because you guys were there all the time you're always available 
And for that to not be enough or for you to be there and feeling like, yeah, you're here, but you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't understand the gravity of like how intense this feels. doesn't matter how trivial it will be in the future. You need to understand like how fucking important this feels to me right now. And that's why I'm feeling like acting this way or why I'm upset and, and all those things. Um, which now I know is because of like the, that's the, the manic side of me. So the hypomania stuff is like a lot of all or nothing type of thinking. Um, which is why I would fall in love so easily and all of that stuff is, oh, I'm in love with them. Then I'm going to marry them for sure. <laughs> that whole thing <laughs> with, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Well, it's, I've only learned about it. Like I, I say it all the time on here, but like in the last six months is when I finally like started to understand what that like really means. I always wondered why you, why you, that was the first thing you would say to new people that come to the house. What's that? You'd, we'd, they'd introduce themselves and you'd say, oh, hi, I have a brother named Michael and he died. That was really <laughs> yeah, all the time. You talked about him more than Sean ever did. Well, I think because Sean experienced an actual trauma, this was just a, a fact that I didn't really, I had no actual <laughs> connection with. So it was easy. It's easy for me to say I had a brother that died because I wasn't there. I don't, it's not, it, it, um, didn't have the, the weight that it did with, with Sean or Scott. Yeah, I, I just wish it would have been a more beautiful thing instead of such a terrorizing thing what do you mean so if you accept that life is as long as it is mm. and that um your purpose is it was a personal thing it was like god was punishing me somebody was hurting me i took it all personal i didn't i didn't sit back and say well Look at what happened. You know, I got pregnant. Dad went into the army. So we had insurance. We were completely taken care of. We were in a in a ward where people were so kind and so attentive to us when it happened. Just surrounded us. The um, to be able to afford the funeral and all that. The army took care of it. The, actually, they go to the Red Cross. We had to sit in a meeting and I got kicked out because I got emotional. But <laughs> a sergeant sat us down and said, okay, you're going to get, you're going to contact a um, mortuary and he's going to want to sell you this, but you're going to say, no, I want. So it was the intricacies of how to negotiate the um, casket and all those things that go around, things that you don't think about when you have a baby. Yeah. That, you know, if you have to bury the baby, there's an expense and there are, you know, steps. And it's just something that you don't, we didn't ever plan for. That was never going to happen to me. So if, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a better state of mind and you don't take tragedy personally, you can see beauty and mercy that comes around you when that sort of thing happens. 
not taking tragedy personally. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. That, like it's, Dad's it's saying. Interesting. It I, didn't, I, I'm not the one that died. He's the one that died. Yeah, I get that. I, I think that, I mean, that that is kind of what I think. I just don't know that I would word it that way. That it, it, Like I was saying before, with the whole guy getting struck by lightning, it's there's seven or nearly eight billion of us. There's a lot of opportunity for someone to get hit by lightning. So, yeah, the weather doesn't care that you <laughs> stole a bag of goldfish from Target. It's not why you got struck by lightning. Yeah, it's not a, a karma thing or a. It's something that happens. But feeling protective over our children is a very primal Personal thing. And, yep. So it does fuck with your biology when when you lose a child or when you feel that you've lost a child to something and there's a lot that you have no control over and I think you have to address those things because the chemicals start to change your muscles ache you have there's all kinds of things that happen um and so while tragedy is not something you should take personally. The the act itself is natural, right? But the 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 coping skills that you need and the support system that you need um, are still just as wildly important as though it is personal. Because you you need your your body is attacked your body is being attacked by by this event so you need a support system you need um good healthy coping skills to be able to get over that stuff and but yeah i don't know it's weird cuz dad's experienced loss in his life and it it had to be maddening that he because he couldn't be home for Deb and then was being told that he couldn't be there for Michael, I would have been freaking out. Like, this can't happen again. We, I'm not going to let this happen again. I, I haven't seen Dad cry since his dad passed away. Ah, no, I lied. He almost cried at his grandmother's funeral because they had him <laughs> give the... Give a prayer or something? Uh, the... You googly. Really? Yeah. It's not super emotional. No. Well, I'm, but it's funny because he is. He's empathetic. He's incredibly empathetic and incredibly sweet, but I think when he has a, he's able to detach himself. Yeah. I, I also think that if he is crying when everybody else is crying, then nobody has anybody. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? So if he doesn't cry, then he's, he's he can be at least the when somebody is you know being frantic or like looks like they need something he can be the guy to say what do you need well yeah so he's more available those, are, those words are his mm-hmm. his go-to that's his mantra <clears throat> yeah i think and that's been passed down to to all of us yeah i think you all picked up on that very very quickly. now <laughs> I know we, I, I want people to, I wanted to talk about that specifically because it is, at, at, at the time, 
we did not have proper mental health uh, awareness. There was not a lot going. Mm -mm. And you came from a background where you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and tough it, tough it out. You shouldn't be sad because somebody else has it worse. That type of thinking drives me absolutely crazy. But my mom said to me once, you know, you're not supposed to worship the dead because I was crying about my son. Yeah. <laughs> and that was her coping skill. She can't handle tragedy either. She has to make it in her, she has to do something in her mind to make it where she can handle it. Okay. She was traumatized at a very, very young age and then was like the mother for a long time. Like she mothered uh, my grandmother's last two kids. Mm. So she, she was, um, she had a really rough life and was probably thwarted at six or so. I have this this thought that so they they say that um, like uh, animals are are born with certain instincts, right? Like dolphins are born to they just know how to swim. They come out swimming. Um, there's birds that uh, they're not necessarily taught to migrate, but they just start doing it. Um, I think that with humans, the longer that we experience trauma, um, the more likely it seems that uh, that our that that it just keeps getting passed down from generation to generation. Hmm. You know what I mean? You think about your parents. Think about dad's parents. You guys. I've I've, I've obviously have experienced it. every one of us has experienced some type of traumatic thing. Um, and it seems like it, it, the more I look into this stuff, it just seems that it's just, it's just always happened. And when it happens, your body tries to adapt, but it's not necessarily a natural thing. It's a new thing just over the last, you know, few hundred years. So, I think that that's where a lot of like chemical imbalance comes from because we don't have to forage. We don't really have to do a lot of the things that. So for the fight and flight thing, you mean? Yeah. Fight or flight thing. We don't really have that, but we, we have this thing that's been taught in our code that says, but there's like some random trauma that could happen. And uh, <laughs> so this is how we're going to deal yeah. with it. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, I think like, the there's energy and emotion. That's what I'm just reading up on now. Mm. That there's an energy and emotion, and um, it'll affect you either positively or neg negatively if you don't. You know, you have to address it, like you yeah. said. But it's a it's like a physical thing. It's like has its own matter. Yeah, I mean, like you look at Landon and Layla. We're insanely connected to them, and we're very open with them and like very we, we try to like my my generation i think is like I, i'm at the tail end of where feelings matter <laughs> um but you've always been a sensitive soul sure but i mean it, it's how 
how do we break the pattern of trauma? Like, unfortunately, Landon has experienced trauma already. I mean, we just have to operate in, in a way that we hope that it eventually gets broken, but he shuts down. So I know that that trait from our our family has been passed down to him because that was something in, in Kim's family as well as you just shut down and shut up. And um, so, I mean, growing up, what was it like? What was it like raising me? Well, we coddled you more. I nursed you till you were two and a half. Gross. Um, <laughs> I think your listeners need to hear this. Yeah, he, I guess so. He would say, please bite some. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was a comforting thing for both of us because I'd had to stop uh, nursing Michael. And so and I didn't know how long you were going to be with us. Yeah. Suddenly children had a, an expiration date. You know, and you see, you see other people who get that right away. It's like, good for you. <laughs> you know, treat children in the moment. Oh, sure. You're very entertaining. We'd wake you up to play with. <laughs> we'd sit and talk about you until we'd go, let's just go wake him up. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I more mean in the sense that like, like, when did you start to notice that there was something different about me? Well, uh, disciplinary actions worked really well with Sean and Scott. Um, the stuff that we'd grown up grown up with, you know, mind your parents, that kind of thing, walk sure. a straight line. <clears throat> but um, you had more of attraction to danger, not danger. Thrill seeking, more conflict seeking. Ah, sure. You liked shocking, surprising things. That was that was interesting. You're you're a sensitive kid. You were a smart kid, but you were drawn to. You're, I mean, t totally a people person. You'd make a friend in the grocery store. Hi, 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 hi. <laughs> Hi, uh, my brother died before I was born. I'm going to hang out. <laughs> and girls, you know, if we were at the park and you got out of our sight for a minute, we'd just look for a crowd of giggling girls and there you'd be. That's so funny. <laughs> so you, you were totally into people. And yeah, you were, you're your own person for sure. So the conflict thing that actually makes a lot of sense because, um, so hypomania is basically bipolar words. So in bipolar people, words have way more weight. And if somebody says something that hits you wrong, you go, how could you do that to me? And the, so like the, the problems with authority is my, in my brain, I would go, why Why would you think that it's okay to treat any human being this way? That's it doesn't matter that we're kids. That's Your dad was like that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's funny. When when he was in the army, he did, you know, he's walking a straight line and he's still getting punished for somebody else's idiotic. And he's and still with work. I don't know if you want to know this, but if uh, somebody comes at him, it's like, I would never treat you that way. Why, why would you, why would you do that to me? 
Or if why can't, for me, it's like, can't you see that I'm doing good things here? Why do you have a problem with what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. So like having issues with authority, I wasn't entitled to people acting fairly, but I thought that I was. If I'm going to act nice and I'm going to treat everyone nice, then you need to do the same thing. We're in a social contract. That's interesting because I, I, I don't think it has to do with mental illness. I think that's in your DNA. Uh, that's my <laughs> thought, though, is that I think that mental illness is passed down. Oh, I see what you mean. And I think it starts with trauma and your your code, your genetic code saying, how are we going to deal with this traumatic thing that's probably going to happen? And it tries to create these things that we don't naturally have. And that's where chemical imbalances seem to be. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like your body's trying to figure out because you're we're constantly evolving and uh, trying to adapt. So your body is going to do that with with everything. You both of your dad and I both tried to to um, look ahead for what could happen. And try to prevent those things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So a lot of our parenting, we assumed you guys were wrong, doing something wrong if somebody said something. <laughs> but we were always trying to prevent that. We were always trying to get ahead of that and curb it and let you know we're not stupid. <laughs> Even though we didn't know all the stuff that was going on. Sure. With you guys. We, you know, we tried really hard to prevent as much pain as we could. Right. Because yeah. So the, the, the wrong turn equates to X amount of pain. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Un, un, unnecessary struggle. There's your, you, we were setting ourselves up to go through a struggle that we didn't need to go through. We're trying to prevent you from having to do, got, yeah. go through things that we had gone through too. Yeah. And, and then when you get older and your kids grow up and you realize how much you messed up as a parent trying to keep them from having those experiences. You know, your generation is considered like the last generation of they did the best they could. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you got lucky. You get a pass. Kim and I will not have a pass to say. No, there's so much information out there now. Yeah. So you guys but had... That's also why we were hard on you as a parent, mm. you being a parent, talking to your children, we were trying to get you to help you avoid that guilt, you know, me not being able to celebrate Mother's Day for years, you know, when I recognize how, how everything I did was more hurtful than helpful to my children. Sean said... You know, I, I had the right parents. <laughs> you, you guys raised me right. Because we, you know, we're always guilting him and where are you and every step of the way. But one day he said to me, you know, you just prevented me from doing stupid things younger. I just sure. waited till I was older. <laughs> Everybody's going to have tragedy. Everybody's going to go through trauma. And Actually, not everybody's going to go through trauma. Really? Yeah. I've found out there are a lot of people who have, have not, never had tragedy or trauma. Not, not like, cause trauma is like unique in that it's going to affect you 
either overtly or subconsciously. And overtly is not necessarily healthier, but it seems easier to manage because people around go, oh, they need help. How, you know, what could we do? Can we, you know, if you have the right support system, the subconscious stuff is, I was in treatment with guys who thought that waking up screaming in the middle of the night was totally normal. normal. I was like, no, man, you have some kind of trauma that you haven't dealt with. You have PTSD. That's why you're freaking out. I, I also thought that wishing to die instead of being in trouble was normal. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> that's not. And that's another thing that I think is passed down, too, is because the that fight or flight mechanism has been gummed up. Yeah, because I, I would rather have contracted a, an illness and be dying than to be on called on the carpet for anything. Yeah. I couldn't watch movies where people were going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so uncomfortable. The whacking, the falling down, those things... I like that stuff. <laughs> the Pratt Falls. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, that that speaks more to the to my hypothesis of this stuff being passed down is because, for some reason, your body, like yesterday, I tweeted at a comedian and I said, if if we flew you out to Minnesota, would you be willing to be on our show? And he retweeted it and said, "Lol, no." <laughs> Which you should be able to go, ah. But I took it insanely personally because it stays up on his thing and people keep commenting below it. And I am just in this rut of this is the worst. This is the it's the worst feeling. I hate that more than anything. Wow. Yeah. You didn't take that as just a joke. This is him trying to be funny. It's a different, it's a different generational thing. So lol, no, and retweeting it versus sending me a message and saying, Hey, no, thank you. No, thanks. So you thought he was just being rude. Yeah, but he was being, he is being rude. That's fine. He, but I, I'm one of hundreds of people that are trying to do the exact same thing. And mine just sounded a little wackier than the last person. So he decided to do that. You know what I mean? So like in his mind, he's. But you really don't world, know what's in his mind. <laughs> his, but in his world, he's being bombarded with shit like that all the time. He's got, you know, 300,000 followers on Twitter. He's got 500,000 on Instagram. So there's thousands of people that can be coming at him with stuff all the time. So to him, it's like he has no he doesn't know me at all. So he has no connection really to these people. But they're constantly coming at him like we expect something from him. Yeah. So, but the initial feeling is that gut-wrenching. Yeah, wow. Just pit of despair. It's only after learning, like, how my mental health works that I'm even able to come to that conclusion. Because I know that, like, it that doesn't actually matter that interaction when people would come to my aerobics classes and then I didn't wouldn't see him for a while mm. I'd assume they hated me it was something I did you know it wasn't yeah. just because they don't like to exercise or whatever I sit or because you called them fat <laughs> aren't you pregnant <laughs> excuse me the maternity <laughs> session I 
I loved teaching exercise classes. I got a, a big rush out of helping people, but it got uh, it would get so intense. Um, sometimes I would sit in the bathroom and cry and have to talk myself down before I could go out and teach a class. So personal to me, everything. Yeah. Yeah, and we we start to treat the people closest to us differently because they're we, in the way. Well, <laughs> not just that we 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 do something, um, which is slightly unique in that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be sad. I'm gonna be this that. I could take a nap and wake up and completely different. And then I don't want to talk about that thing anymore. Mm-hmm. So let me vomit this stuff out. Okay. Right. I go and take a nap. I wake up. Everything's fine. Or I wake up the next morning and, and I don't, I don't want to talk about that anymore because it goes back to that being called out on the carpet thing. The, like we just don't handle embarrassment and shame. Well, so when the people that are closest to us, we can say, this is why this is making me feel this way and this and this and that. And it can sound really extreme. And so people are like, okay, what do we, what do we need to do? (laughs) And then we go to bed and wake up the next day. It's like, oh, we don't need to just forget about that thing. It's over. Don't say it. Don't. It never happened. I'm sitting in, in the high school principal's office with Matt and all these teachers around and they, you know, are bombarding him with this, all the stuff that he was doing. And he was, he's going like this. Okay. Okay. You said that already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what I had to say. Oh, can I talk to you alone? Because he was just escalating. Here's what I do. I drop something on the carpet and Kim goes, Chris. <laughs> and I go, yep. I wanted to do that. <laughs> I wanted to drop the thing on the car, <laughs> right? So it's the same thing that Matt's doing with, we did that already. Yeah. What, what, what are we going to do with the bringing it up again? Yeah, what, saying it more times, making it any better. It doesn't. And yeah. I mean. So yeah, we're, we're unique in that. Like we, we have a, a certain threshold. We have a threshold for a lot of other people's trauma. We can sit in that for months on end. But when it comes to our own, <laughs> we cannot sit in it for very long. We have to yeah. get it out of here. We're kind of all over the place. I want to go back to, so me growing up, like the like the panic attacks and stuff like that. Like before we even knew that they were panic attacks, when I would just have those massive outbursts where for like three hours, I would be seemingly losing my mind. I mean, what, what did you guys make of that? I don't remember that. Tell me about it. What are you talking about? <laughs> you got to remind me. Old brain cells start to All leave. Right. Um, like when dad would try to help me with math. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember that. And I, I genuinely just, I have. Did you see yourself when I started taking math? Did you see yourself in me when I started taking math? No. You ever watch me cry over college? No, 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 <laughs> no. Um, but my my thing is like I 
and because of the like emotional thing that I have to attach to everything. Yep. yep. Um, a teacher did that just to get me. Mm. Well, my, my thing is I can get the answer by doing this. What? Why can't, why can't we, I just why do can't that? We go with that? What's wrong with? <laughs> well, because that's not the, that's password. not how we do it. It's not how we it's do like it. We're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Math is math. You get the answer. It's an objective truth. So like I do that where I'm like, that doesn't matter. Nobody's walking around with a protractor at Subway. (laughs) Do you have to feel things before you can do them? Before I can learn, like learn them? Yeah, I have to be excited about it to some extent. But like I have to draw diagrams of things and. And uh, do rhyming things. I have to do. Oh, to memorize stuff? To, to learn something. I have to be able to feel it, touch it. I have to change it into something that my mind will grab hold of. So maybe like making it more interesting. So I'll pay attention. I'm lucky because I can just go to YouTube and look up that thing. <laughs> we're basically computers. We're, we're, we're kind of cyborgs because we have an unlimited amount of memory space now because it's stored someplace else. Yeah. So we can go and do that thing. So that's what I do is I'm able to basically use notes over and over and over again until I have a thing learned. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like watching an instructional video on how to construct audio correctly, like frequencies and things. There's no way I'd be able to take one class and and learn all retain that. any of that yeah. shit. I have to see it Repetition. over and over and over yep. again. Because first you have to get used to the new language. Yeah. Yes. So you you knew exactly what I was talking about when I said that. So when you said <laughs> trying to get you to do homework was like going to the dentist. Yeah. Every time. And if we had understood what ADD was, I mean, dad has it, but didn't did anything for it or about it. Yep. And it wasn't until we were reading on it because of Josh that we went, oh, this is Chris. (laughs) That that breaks our hearts. That really breaks our hearts. I mean. That we didn't understand that. We just had heard the controversy about Ritalin. mm -hmm. And we knew kids that had ADHD. And that was something you, you really needed to do something about because they were dangerous to themselves. Mm hmm. So we didn't, we didn't have, we were not well informed as parents. All I wanted to be was a mom, but I never thought about taking a class for it Mm. or reading a book about it. I read one book and it talked about hyperactivity and don't give uh, hyperactivity kids red dye. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) I've heard that too. I knew how to entertain kids. That was, that was what I did was trying to keep keep you guys entertained and involved in things. Yeah. Did you just chalk that up to like, cause, uh, we as parents say, uh, they're being difficult or this is just a difficult thing for them. So like, was that your perception of the whole homework thing was just, ah, it's, he's just always going to be difficult. Yeah. We didn't understand why you wouldn't just calm down and listen and do it. Mm. And then, you know, going back to, dad's learning experience, he was totally bored all the time. Hmm. Didn't go to classes, you know, 
or if he was in a class when he was younger, he was entertaining the class. Mm. So we we should have really understood you more than we understood the other two who were very disciplined. And you could you know show them things and give them a time limit and they would they could stick with it and do that. You really threw a wrench in our our wheelhouse. We didn't have you in our wheelhouse. Yeah. I I've I've said this a bunch before as well, and especially recently, but um to John Cleese, I, I need to look up who he's quoting, but um John Cleese was asked about uh Fox News and how ridiculous they are. And uh he said there's a there's a famous author who says uh, stupid people lack the capacity to recognize that they're stupid. <laughs> and that's why we didn't know. Well, we didn't know we were too stupid. Wh- well, what he's what that that writer is really saying is when you are um, like engulfed by anything. So if you're too deep in the throw of a thing, you lack the capacity to recognize that you're doing it wrong. Anything, right? Anything <laughs> to the contrary, until something um, extraordinary comes along, or but but even then, you might say you clearly don't understand because yeah, you of have to too, have a paradigm change. Yeah. So if you're too deep into a thing, which for you guys was parenting, and by like all units of measure, you were doing it right. We were involved with the kids. We're checking up on them. We're making sure that they're doing these things. We love them unconditionally. And, you know, we, we had tons of friends who were children of divorce. And so there were all of these boxes that you guys were checking. So these nuanced things. So that's what I, that why I brought that up is because it's not that you're ignorant. You're just so deep into being a parent into this thing that that um gives you purpose that you just you don't know there's no way for you to know we had no idea and especially since the the high school counselor was so bad that i ended up counseling him at one point (laughs) i think you told me that you were talking about becoming a counselor because I was, I'm too good at it, <laughs> but I could never do it on a professional capacity because I have to have some level of personal connection to make sure that, because sincerity is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. The One of the things that Trust. people, yeah, exactly. So what people complain about with therapy is, um, it sounds like they're reading off of a, a piece of paper. It's, you know, I'm having have to tell Have they actually the, experienced anything that validates their advice or whatever to me. So I could say I could be an unprofessional counselor, uh, but I can never do it on a professional capacity. Cause yeah, with that guy, like I was dealing with ADHD, massive depression, panic attacks, and I'm in there, you know, twice a week. And one time I go in there and he's looking kind of sad and he's like, so how are your classes going? (laughs) I'm like, how are you doing, buddy? Which is really funny because a friend of mine just recorded a sketch where he played out that kind of scenario. <laughs> and you lived it. And I actually lived it. I was like, what's going on, man? Oh, don't worry about it. I was like, hey, it's me. And I did such a good job that he was like, thanks, man. <laughs> And, and so because of that, I convinced them to, 
that's when we started doing the the peer counseling. Oh. So I introduced that into our school because... I did not know that. But you know what the problem is? That is an issue of codependency. Well, deflecting. So <laughs> codependency is not... Does not is not always in a like romantic sense, like where it's a couple. No, I understand what codependency is. I get off on your whatever your is going on with you, and that drives me. Well, there's an injustice. I'm the one that has to fix it. Oh yeah. Nobody else understands it the way that I do. Oh yeah, you're that. That's you. So that's like that whole. Yeah. So and I didn't learn that until I was in treatment to be like Josh is kind of like that. Yeah, well, but it's also partly learned because Josh watched me a lot. Like somebody listened to his episode and was like, he sounds exactly like you. You guys sound exactly the same. And I was like, "Uh, he says phone and I don't. (laughs) He he won't let me listen to that. He forbade forbade me from listening to it. It's because we had a a pretty healthy conversation about the the thing that he's probably speaking to is the prophet doesn't speak to God. He's just an elected official who is perceived to be the best among us and most capable to take people on on the right path. Who said that? Me. Oh. I'm saying that because (laughs) they, decade after decade, are proven wrong. And it's either God is wrong because if the prophet says, this is what God told me. And then some, the congregation goes, ah, we kind of think that's bullshit and infringing on people's rights. (laughs) And then he goes, hold on, let me go check again. (laughs) You're saying, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, so what you're, what the, the, he's just, so that's me trying to grapple with accepting that my family is still Mormon is I think in the back of your minds, you all kind of know that because you know that man is flawed. Right. And therefore, this guy just is the most in tune among us and therefore is most capable of garnering our trust. And so we trust him to to help keep things going. Hmm. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to say is that if you do that, then you don't have to make any excuses for God. Because you don't have to have that conflict. You don't have to say, well, wait a second. You told us that God said this. How come? Yeah. So dad never had a problem with that. I beg to differ. Dad dad never had a problem with. Um, oh, you mean with them being wrong? With understanding that, that prophets are just people. You know, when you're me, who was spoon fed the gospel, we argued with scripture. We were disciplined with scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was something I didn't understand. Nobody else had, <laughs> Yeah. you know, it, it was so ingrained in me that this is how it is and this is right. And that I didn't do a lot of questioning. It was very easy for me to just blindly follow, mm-hmm. even though we are counseled to pray about everything, to get your own testimony of whatever thing is presented. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I'm actually glad it went to this because in in on top of all of the normal things that you're doing as a parent, uh, you guys um, deeply believe that 
there are a set of guidelines that lead you to something that is far better than anything that you could experience here. So this, these trials and tribulations, I know it sucks, but <laughs> hang in there, hang in there. Cause there's this really <laughs> great thing and trying to convey that to us, especially me was really difficult because of the, I'm just going to call it bipolar because it's easier than saying the hypomania thing. So having bipolar in this all or nothing thinking, it's like, it doesn't it matter yeah. that 80 years from now, I'm going to experience whatever you're telling me <laughs> because right now it's worth Jessica it won't go with me to the prom. <laughs> it was worth it for me to sneak out and get grounded. It was, yeah. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah. There's one time that I'm thinking of where it was worth it. <laughs> and I'm assuming that we're probably thinking the same thing we're in Columbia City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was insane. It was like a Spielberg movie. Really? Yeah. Like we went out. He snuck out. It was perfect outside. Typed it to his friend on the computer, left the computer up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I don't know. <laughs> That's brand new. The whole computer <laughs> thing is new. So... <coughs> If you don't want people to find out something, don't write it down. Right. <laughs> Espionage 101. Yeah. Um, but we went out and, yeah, we walked down to uh, the trailer park, like where Cosmo lived. Went and said hi to the, because she was having a sleepover, said hi to those girls. We're, we were walking back and I remember the Big Dipper was sitting on top of our house. Wow. And I had never seen that before. And if I hadn't snuck out at that time, you would not. And I remember seeing that and going, "Oh, this this moment right here has made it all worth it." And I've I've held on to that forever. That's awesome, because in a parent's mind, all you're thinking of is you could have gotten picked up, abducted, killed. <laughs> yep, all, <laughs> all the, the horrible things. things. I am a very insanely protective parent now, but I also I tell your kids it's our fault. I, I love being in, I'm fine with being in denial. If you live and I don't know about the thing. Yeah. Fine. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Josh tells me stuff now. It's like, just don't tell me. I don't yeah. need to, I didn't find out you're okay. We don't, we don't need to know. Yeah. So back to, um, so we've got, and we, we have eternal consequence or reward on the line with also trying to help these young men become functioning members of society while remembering how important these eternal consequence or reward things are. But not just the end thing, but if you can follow certain principles, you'll less less likely to lose freedom in this life. So like not drinking, Mm. not doing drugs. If you had not done those things, (laughs) we wouldn't probably be here. As you get older and you start to recognize that all these experiences make you stronger, they make you more empathetic, they, they give you an appreciation for things in life. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I had my share of sneaking around and making mistakes and that's part of why we tried to help you not to do those things. It's so funny whenever you say that stuff. <laughs> The the rest of the brothers go, oh, you made mistakes. <laughs> what do you mean? We've made some mistakes. 
<laughs> you guys have done things that like your dad and his family or that generation that would be jailed now if yeah, the Flandon's yeah, yeah. generation tried to do it. I understand, but I... Well, no, no, that's just a, a funny thing that like, it, that does, that should never negate your experience. And I, I say that all the time on here too, <laughs> is like, it's the starving children in Africa argument. Just because the knowledge of starving children in Africa does not mean that you're consuming every speck that's on your plate every single time you eat. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somehow that's helping those children. Exactly. <laughs> so everybody's experience I is wonder, different. I would really like to meet the person that came up with that. <laughs> okay. What I'm trying to figure out is... I don't really know what your guy's perception was of me as a child versus the other sons. You know what I mean? Like their mistakes were kind of common. The things that I was doing were very much different in the way that like the weight that it carried the screaming matches that I would have with you guys, the defiance, the all like, it was very much different, so I don't know what that actually looked like to you guys. It was just perplexing. It was just different. We didn't know how to how to deal with your, I'm going to say antics. That's not what I mean. No, that's however you <laughs> want to explain it. Clamping down harder on you didn't make it better. Matter of fact, you and that Matt goes back to that whole and Josh, even though Doc, same thing. Even though it seems obvious not to shake a baby, there's like you just don't know what to do. Yeah. So after Josh was born, I had a, I went to a parenting class in Utah, and realized that everything, all of my disciplinary things were wrong. So it was. Um, you needed to teach children how to become functioning, responsible adults. So letting like natural consequences happen for money things or, you know, Sean, I told him, if you want to drive the car, there's only one reason to drive it. And that's if you're going to seminary first thing in the morning. <laughs> Otherwise, you can ride the bus with your brothers. And so that's where the story comes from, where I took the distributor cap off of the truck <laughs> what? You don't know the story? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I don't think they have them anymore. So he would just be obstinate and get up and take the truck anyway. So when I learned about this, you know, natural consequence thing, the kid, the kid won't get dressed to go to school, take him to school in their pajamas. And then, you know, they'll not do that anymore. So he didn't wake up in time. So I went out, opened the hood of the truck and took off a, the distributor cap, which had, had something to do with spark plugs. And <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't start the couldn't start it without it. I, oh, I don't know okay, why I did okay. just hide the keys. I could have just hid the keys. I don't know why I didn't do that. Maybe he had because yeah, you could find the keys. Probably. So <laughs> there's no way he'd know what the Captain America cap is or whatever. So, <laughs> so he had a test that day and he had to get on his bike and ride it to high school from Columbia City, which was what, seven miles? Yeah. 
And then not long into his trip, he got a flat tire. Not only was it seven (laughs) miles away, you had to bike on a highway for the majority of it. Yeah, the walking path was there. You you couldn't get to the walking path until like miles down. Oh my word! Because you had to. Oh yeah, and then it was you an extreme to, thing. You had to cross the highway to get to that bike path, and then you could take the bike path. But then you'd have to cross back over anyways to get to the high school. So yeah. it's like, what's the point? Yeah, that was a terrible thing for a parent to do. Yeah, but <laughs> again, it goes back to that whole. I mean. I, I need to figure out a different way to say this. That whole stupid people lack the capacity. Uh, people who have uh, a goal in that. There we go. People who have a certain goal in mind lack the capacity to recognize that the way that they're going about getting to that goal is not necessarily Probably healthy. Probably not the best. You know, going back to me being a freak out parent worried about you sneaking out a couple blocks away. Mm. You know, here's a 16 year old, 90 pound, 16 year old. Yeah. <laughs> on a, what do they call those bikes? It was like a stunt a mongoose. bike. Yeah. I didn't think through that. Just like when I yeah. kicked Matt out of the car on the freeway one day. <laughs> Eventually you just stop knowing what to do. Yeah. And I mean, I learned, I don't know who I learned it from actually. But this whole, all right, I'm going to dig my heels in. And when you say that thing, I'm going to say, what does that mean? Hmm. So like the. It's like getting a better understanding. The well, like, OK, so like I, I feel like I started doing this with like when when gay marriage voting was coming up. So I would say because I had I still had uh, LDS friends. And they would say, I don't, I don't wish anything ill on them. I just don't agree with it. I would say, okay, so you don't agree with it. What does that mean? I just, you know, it seems wrong to me. Okay. Why does it seem wrong to you? Because my religion taught me that it's wrong. (laughs) Okay. If your religion says that it's wrong, what does that mean? It just means you shouldn't do it. Well, why shouldn't you do it? Yeah. It's ignorance and. So like. I, I learned to start doing this thing where I say like, okay, but not, not just why, but what does it mean? So making people understand where it's coming from. I'm making you give the answer as to this is getting you out of that, lacking the capacity to recognize what, like the goal that you're looking for, you're fucking up along the way. And so beep. how do I, how you do start I say beep every time you say a naughty word? Well, I have professional acrylic. <laughs> beep it out myself. Um, but you're so used to saying it and hearing it that you won't recognize that it's coming up. No, that's not true. Okay. I love that word. I know. <laughs> I mean it whenever I say it. Well, uh, I envision it when you say it. So <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> so, but the... I did that with my mom the um, one day she. So with, with your parenting thing, though, to, to keep it, keep it here. Um, you had nobody, nobody was there parenting you while you were parenting. Yeah. Nope. So you don't have it. And everybody else is kind of doing the same thing, especially in that neighborhood. There was a lot of 
hive mind thinking when it came to dealing with the kids. Um, and, and actually you kind of grew up in that type of neighborhood too, right? Where like everybody, whatever parents around deals with the kids. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all in it together. Like as parents. Yep. The psychology of the thing didn't really start until I, th- I think me. Nobody, nobody questioned that because they would say, all right, but look how they turned out in the end. And I mean, Sean, if Sean was the only kid, that would have been your litmus test. And you would have just <laughs> been like, yeah, we did it. We fucking nailed it. Beep. <laughs> we flipping nailed it. Right. You would have thought that this is, oh, boom, we did exactly what we were supposed to do. And you would carry on thinking, why are you, why are you babying? Your child, this is what you need to do. Look <laughs> at my son who's successful. And so, so that's, yeah, you, that's the thing is you wouldn't know. When you uh, were 14 and you walked out, when you moved out. Uh, I was 16. Oh, the yeah. other one was 14. You were 16 when you walked away. Mm-hmm. You unsunned yourself. Yeah. You totally blew our heads off. Completely, it was worse than having a baby die to have you reject us like that. Yeah, because that's a that's a real like. That Mike, was Michael didn't choose to leave. Nope, but you did. <laughs> yeah, I looked you in the face and gave you the double bird, and said, "I'm taking my snowboard into town, even though there's no hills, and I'm living in the trailer park." <laughs> I thought. And the, this, this all, this all, I hope that this all like makes sense to people in the way that like, how on earth could you make sense of anything if nobody was talking about it? Yeah. Anytime that somebody would bring up a child like me doing some weird shit like that, like my oh, son yeah, just moved out so that he can have premarital sex with a girl. That was more important to him than living in a home where he was financially secure and had parents that loved him. Anytime somebody would talk about a kid like that, it was a lot of looking the other way or like, Ooh, man, that's bad. Isn't it? Did you hear about, uh, (laughs) like there was a lot of that going on because there, there was not enough talking available to even start to try to cope with that shit. it, It wasn't publicized. Depression wasn't understood. Um, your level of rebellion. All yeah. of this, all the while, you still had not properly dealt with your trauma. You think? Absolutely. At what point did you start taking medication? Um, it wasn't too long after that. <laughs> yeah. So I remember you sitting down with us. Matt and I were high on the couch. <laughs> And you were like, hey, mom's sad. And we were like, we're starving. <laughs> <laughs> you go make what? us some nachos. When does the pizza come into this conversation? Yeah. Uh, but, I, and so that's why I brought up that stuff at the beginning is because you have all of these things and and you're so deep in trying to understand why being the best version of a parent you could be is not working and why does it make me feel 
this way? Or why do we start acting like we, the thing that we didn't want to, to be like, but that our parents did? Yeah. Like, do you know why, like, I'm afraid of the dark? No. Uh, we found, we, we came to this conclusion. We had somebody on who's, uh, we were talking about like irrational fears. And I'm like, I'm a f- full grown adult and I'm still afraid of the dark. I still have to run out of the room. Turn the lights off and well, it's after we moved here, I finally got over it. So I was in my forties. The dark, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the worst. Keep all the lights on. <laughs> um, but the the thing that I trace it back to is you're trying to deal with us to give people like a really good perspective on trying to be a parent to five boys. Well, four boys at this point was a a neighbor and dear friend. Um, oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Sandy. Yes. Wait. Phil and Sandy. Yes. Yep. Sandy. Or Felicia across the street. No, no, no. Sandy. You're okay. correct. Uh, had offered to babysit us. <laughs> and the second that you guys left to wherever you were going, we all split four boys all went in different directions and just did whatever we wanted. Until you guys got back, even though this we love this lady, she's the sweetest lady ever. But we just took advantage of her and just freaking bolted. She couldn't understand why, when she was on the phone with her sister, that you guys took off. (laughs) Oh, she was on the phone. That's funny. But I I remember her calling out, and we were like, "No, (laughs) not a chance." We all just did whatever we wanted for a couple hours. Um, but that, at least that type of stuff is relatable, but my things started to become different around that same time, going up at the top of the street, looking for dad, um, hiding in our neighbor's garage. I still don't even remember why. But just bolting and just hiding for some reason. Hmm. My my things. Yeah, I don't know. As a kid, it was it was all very confusing. These these like feelings of greater purpose and probably why I have like an affinity for superheroes is like they have a, a destiny hmm. and, and my thinking that I had some type of destiny. And so I. Whenever I felt passionate about something, I had to do the thing. Um, and then growing up and none of that stuff working out historically. And <laughs> and so. Sorry. And, and so the like really lashing out started to happen. And n- nobody, even my high school counselor, incapable of really buttoning down what was going on. And. You know what's funny? We talked about how um, we get over the thing. Mm-hmm. We go, eh. you know what? That was yesterday. There's nothing going on today. Can we just pretend like that didn't happen? When I went to that psychiatrist and I said, I did research on Zoloft. I just want to be able to take something that allows me to understand why I'm upset and then be able to to handle it from there. That's so perceptive. We didn't really talk. He was just like, "Okay, that's exactly what we prescribe it for." Is that what you want? 
And I was like, yeah. And he was like, all right. We talked for maybe five minutes. And he was just like, this, this is completely rational. But that was my way of going, can we just not? Yeah. I don't want to talk the about thing it. So yep. that I don't have to. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because, yeah, you came in like five minutes later and he was like, he said that he wants to do this and there's real reasons why he's going to do these things. Da, 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 da. But really, I'm just. Just get me out of this. Things. Yeah. 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 This uncomfortable. I won't. And it goes back to like how Matt was saying, yeah, you already, we already said that. We already did that. This is a way of going. I, I don't, it's not how I normally want to be. This isn't how I, that's not what I want. Yeah. So I'm going to take this thing so that I don't have to confront the, the thing that I actually had going on. So I move out. And I'm out for three or four months. Is it that long? Yeah. Because it was the whole, it was the rest of the winter. Because it was like right after my birthday. And yeah, because it was, I think it was almost prom by the time I had finally moved back. Can I tell you how we, how we finally dealt with it? Yeah. What did you guys do? So I move out. What? So, so. You know, we're devastated. We're disappointed. We're not really talking about it because we could tell that we probably drove you to that instead of saying, oh, yeah, okay, that's the decision you made. We're not we're going to stop trying to interfere with this and let it play itself out. We just couldn't not do something. That's why we were kept doing the wrong things. But um, I got more spiritual and. I was still teaching Matt seminary, I think. And, oh, wow. And um, one day your dad said, tell me about the prodigal son. Tell me the story of the prodigal son. What does it mean? What's, you know, what was the whole thing? You know what? Whenever I hear the prodigal son, you know what I always think of? Mm-mm. Starburst. Really? Because we- that's how we were taught. <laughs> so you. So they would pick two people and they would give uh, the person. Okay, I'm sorry. So people who don't know in in Sunday school, um, they would try to uh, incorporate these stories. So there's a parable. Parable. There we go. That Jesus taught about a family where a man had two sons and he was must have been a very successful man. And one of the sons said, yeah, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. And so the father gives him his share of whatever it was going to be, and the kid goes off and and wastes it in riotous living. <laughs> and as soon as he quits buying drinks for everybody, they all reject him, his new friends, and he ends up working for a pig farmer, and the farmer won't even let him eat the good corn that he's given the pigs, he has to eat what's left over from the pigs. And so one day he came to himself, these are the words, and he said, you know, at my father's house, he treats my the, the servants very nice. They have food, they have a place to stay. If I go home, maybe my dad will let me be one of his servants. Indentured slave. Yeah. So he heads off home, 
His father sees him coming in the distance, drops everything and runs to his son who's covered in pig poo or whatever, throws his arms around him, kisses him, takes off his best ring, gives the kid his ring. He tells the servants, go kill the fatted calves, have a big party. My son was gone and now he's back. And he gives him his best coat and they have the big party. And um, when you when you teach religious classes, you learn symbols for well. You you forgot these to talk about the other son. Do you, you want to finish the story? So that the other son sees this big party going on, and he asks somebody, "What's going on?" Well, so the all the while that the other boy runs off, the other son stayed and did the work and just continued to do what his father asked of him. Yep. And, and so he finds so, out about the party. Yeah, yeah. And he's mad. <laughs> he's mad because here I, I've done all this stuff and look at what he did and how come I never got a fatted calf. And the father just said, everything I have is yours. He said, but he was gone and now he's back. And so in that culture, if you unsund yourself, if you said, I don't want to be your son anymore, give me my money. That was worthy of death. And uh, it was disgraceful for an old man to run. <laughs> and, you know, he received him without the kid washing up and coming and saying he was sorry or anything like that. Before the kid had anything to say, the father dropped everything and ran and, and celebrated that he had returned. And so when I talked to dad about that and you being gone... I said, it's about love. That's all, that's all it's about is love. And so we started reaching out to you to give you money, get you to watch Josh, to keep you in contact with us and just tried to have your favorite things at the house in case you ever remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was like, uh, there were these rolls that I liked because they were like Kaiser rolls that you could get in New York. I remember you guys would have those there. <laughs> And they're like these just enormous carb-based <laughs> life forms. That you just devour with butter. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you guys still let me use the car. Like, I didn't have to buy the car from you. You just let me use it. Um, until at some point, I, I, I couldn't use the car anymore. Um, Might have had mechanical problems or something. No, I think it was... I was trying to distance myself further from you guys because oh. I that whole all or nothing thinking is th this other family is my family now. And if I'm, I'm I made a huge decision, so I have to be fully invested in, in these guys. And that turned out to be a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and created all kinds of other trauma because I ha I hadn't all the while I hadn't dealt with the the mental health side of things and so there I was making mistakes even though this family had taken me in and nothing was ever enough because of this void and really what not so much a void is like just a lack of understanding of the fuck was going on in my head like there was a, a like an objective biological issue that I just didn't couldn't grapple with yeah. so 
religion, not religion, all of these things. Um, and then came around that time, like the substance abuse went way, way up. Um, Grandma, there's thousands of dollars in this room. Okay. I need you to take this seriously. You have, you have one sock on. <laughs> that was to keep the dog entertained. <laughs> um, I, my brain still kind of goes all over the place because, um, I think I'm the, like the conflict that Josh and I would have was a lot of like, I think projecting because I think I may be on the spectrum because there's, when there's, when there's for some reason, no way for me to understand a thing. I get like very, very, very agitated and there's a feels like a literal wall where there's no there's just no way there's no way for me to I, like I said all the time at home here is like I know that it's stupid I can't not be completely livid about this thing when it happens that, like very few things make me like absolutely furious but when they happen like I can't get out of it and so the, there's all of these things that play into each other, but like, um, the learning thing, because it seems so, cause you guys weren't the only ones that would get frustrated at the fact that I couldn't understand a thing. Teachers would get that way all the time. They would become like, um, uh, what's the, what's the phrase? Condescending. Oh, geez. And patronizing because to them, they're like, hey, dummy, look at the note. Look at this. The answer will then come. And I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah you get that from me, too. Well, th- what I'm trying to say is wrong. I'm going to have to bleep all <laughs> yes, that out. Yes, you're going to have to take all that out. <laughs> <laughs> so this is I'm curious about this, too, is like so you you come to that realization prodigal son thing and I, I remember hearing you <laughs> like talk about that and me thinking like that's that's not what this is this is very much different it wasn't like you that, coming that, back to God or yeah, yeah, yeah. To our way of thinking it was understanding that our job was just to love you it didn't matter that's when we started saying I things see. like okay we forgive you no matter what don't we have a sign someplace that says that? And that's that actually reminds me of like my thought of like I always had a problem with that thing too. Like people pointing out the thing that I did wrong, but I don't think it's wrong. So when somebody says that's okay, I forgive you, I go, <laughs> I'm not looking for that. Actually. <laughs> Oh, isn't that wonderful of you? So like for me, like with the thing that happened with uh, she who shall not be named, <laughs> I, I I was like, there's nothing else I can do. I'm here because I don't have any other options. So the whole like when the prodigal son thing and I'm like, is starbursts? Because yeah. what they would do in Sunday school. Okay. Pick two kids. I uh, totally want a starburst now. They give starbursts. To the one kid. And then they're like, take these Starbursts and pick, you know, like five or six. 
pick five or six friends. And you go and you give your Starburst to your friends. Then you come back up and they're like, you don't have any more Starburst. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, well. And so they would like try to give like this real world, like you can't, your friends can't give you Starburst. They already ate them. They ate the Starburst. They're all gone. So whatever you're trying to get out of life by leaving your family yeah. is empty, basically. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that was the thing. But I, I didn't feel that way. It's like, no. <laughs> I tried to start a family. So interesting that object lessons have stopped at church. <laughs> I mean, they're so flawed. They're so flawed. Because... There's so many variables. We talked about how there's nearly 8 billion people on the planet. Math alone, somebody may have flown. There may be a human being that's been able to fly. <laughs> that's how many, like mathematically, that's how probable it is. It's because there's so freaking many of us. So in that sense, there's no, there's no clear path anymore. There's do the best you can. And try not to screw other people while you're trying to survive. That's really like the the most basic form that you can do. And then um, all of the the magical stuff just happens afterwards. So you, you, you just say, I'm just going to, you know, keep making chicken and potatoes until I die. And, <laughs> <laughs> and rolls. Don't and forget rolls. rolls. Um, so I come back and I would imagine things like it felt, it must've felt good because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Cause you, you know, the story in the back of your head and then I come back and you're like, yes, just like in the story, but things were not getting better. I was using, I was leaving home all the time. Doing very bad in school, like nothing's... Yeah, but you were, you were our thing that we let go. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I if don't you, <laughs> If you love it, let it go. Mm-hmm. And then... I'm talking about when I got back, though. That's what I'm saying. We, you, were, you were beyond us. Pull that microphone a little closer. You were beyond us. See how much clearer <laughs> that sounds? I sound like Ray. Look, uh, <laughs> you sound like you're from London. <laughs> As things progressively like are getting worse. Yeah, we had no idea. You were very good at covering things. We had no idea. Mm. If if that if you were us, what would you have done? Yeah, I mean I try to think of that, like now. The the thing that the only thing that I can think of, and again, this is not like overtly your fault because this is all you guys knew. However, the concept of God and telling somebody that you, when you do this, you're letting the one above all down creates a massive hole of like, it's one thing to let your parents down, but when you're letting down the person who's there for eternity, the amount of shame that comes with that is enormous. Think about the amount of shame we were having for letting him down by the way we treated you. 
uh, well, and that's that, <laughs> that's what I'm saying though is we we don't know. But that's the one thing that I know to apply to these guys is that there's no eternal consequence for anything that they do. We we keep it as real as possible and applicable as possible to their everyday life and keep it centered around them. Yep. And that's exactly what we should have done with each one of you. But you don't know. I that, Think ho- about this. Hopefully th- this is probably why you have these little chats as you're trying to reach out into somebody else's mind who may be bogged down with this dilemma yeah and maybe save a relationship so and and then that that leads to i know we've gone all over the place listeners but so after my first suicide attempt what happened in your home so that night i have to go through it you know, Kim said, I think he's going to do something. You're talking about the, the the first, the first attempt that we know about. The the first one was, um, uh, uh, Chloe. No, Mackenzie's birthday. No, the first one was you try to asphyxiate yourself in your car. E- yeah, that's the one I'm talking about where I sent no. the kids. Oh, you're talking about the, where I, yep, 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 from when I was working at the paper mill. I gotcha. Yeah. So we put out on Facebook and had everybody praying for you, looking for you. And somebody said something. I went, oh, is he just needing more attention? And Mm. I was kind of like brushing it off. And Sean pulled me aside and he said, mom, I went to his, his computer at work. He's looking up. He's trying to kill himself with a hose and his exhaust pipe. When he said that, I went into a closet or my room or something alone and dropped to the floor and said to God, what I say to other people, if somebody's trying to kill themselves, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. I don't believe that with this, with my son, please, please don't let this happen to my son. And the words you said to me after that was, I said, how'd you get home? And you said, I don't remember. I don't know how I got home. Mm. And for me, it was a validation that God brought you home. I remember now. How did you get home? So I had picked this parking lot in Big Lake and hooked everything up and started and five minutes later a cop pulled up and it's like hey this parking lot's closed can't be here like did he see Uh, that's when i was like how could you not notice (laughs) all of the things that are in my car right now and i don't know if that guy was like i can't deal with another dead body i'm just gonna hope that he (laughs) goes someplace else so I don't know. Like New York? Yeah. Here. Yeah. You got to do that here. Yeah. You got to do that here. <laughs> Guy, it's 1130. My shift's almost over. Please. <laughs> Walmart's open. Go to the Walmart parking lot. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I got home is because I had. Uh, and and then to bring it back to that whole 
with that embarrassment that we feel and go, Ugh, all right, can we just forget that that happened? I got, I, I, when I was coming home, I was like, get everybody out of the house. I don't want to deal with anybody because now I went to work in that car the next day and life just went on like nothing had happened. And I remember Sean and, and dad took me to lunch and Sean, again, this was still pretty early on in the, all the doors open. That's funny. Um, pretty early on in starting to understand mental health. What was I saying? Oh, okay. So Sean's, um, Sean said, so that's never going to happen again. Right. Cause he just didn't know. He just knew, oh, he's acting normal again. So everything must be fine. I'm going to remind him, Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) And I remember, so when he said that, I said, I don't know. I have no idea what could happen. I never, like I had felt like I didn't know what would take away this sadness. Like when I was in high school. I had cut myself once, but I did that. And I was like, that didn't make me feel any better. This it's not worth it. And, um, but the, when that happened, it was the first time that my world had been, was about to literally be taken from me. Like Landon being born changed my life. And I was making massive improvements. Um, so when, when that was threatened, my body just went, Oh, there, there's nothing that cause Kim was going to leave you. Yeah. So I had a, a, a porn addiction and she didn't know because in her world, she was constantly being made out to not be enough. And this was just another slap in the face of not being enough. So she didn't know what to do. And so she had that all or nothing thing where it's like, fine, you're going to do that. Then then you can be on your own. Yeah. Rather than what we know about addiction now and like all these things. I understand it's, it's a compulsion. It's not. Yeah. But I make it out. Right. And life goes on for another. Three years. Is that what Kim said? It's the limit. <laughs> the uh, timeline. Because I was. 30. So I think, I think it was a little longer stretch, but suffice it to say, like this time there was a lot more initiative and I, so when I was in the hospital, like what, as like more of this is going on and the things that, you know, with Josh, so you, you've kind of gotten into the world of like mental health stuff. What, what did that look like to you guys? The second time? Second time. When I'm in, because now I'm admitted into a hospital. Like, had you ever gone and seen somebody who was on an adult mental health unit? I might have gone to see my friend. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know if that was before. I feel like it was after, because I remember you having me talk to her, and I was like, <laughs> crazy people don't always help each other. <laughs> That's why they're crazy. That's why we're crazy. <laughs> we're all crazy. But I mean, yeah, what, it, so what was it like? Uh, we just go into work mode. We go into, okay, now this is what we do. Mm. You know, let's take care of the kid. 
take care of Kim, trying to get reassurance that that this is over, you know. And I thought we kind of had some plan in place. I thought you were going to get counseling or get on medication or something. Yeah. And then didn't you go through a bunch of trial and error? Well, this, this, so this was physical stuff. So uh, I, Oh, you were, you were in pain. It was yeah, your back yeah. pain. And somebody had told me that it was never going to get better, which that lady can uh, fall off a cliff in day. It's a fucking nightmare. Um, but yeah, so it, it, I, I remember that feeling that goes right back to that whole, ah, yeah, but this wouldn't have happened if we had this other thing. So can we just, yeah, let me get out of the hospital. Do you remember asking, we, we all were sitting down with you at the hospital in that room. They put us in the, our own room. Yeah. And then you said, do you guys have any questions for me? Mm. Do you have anything to say? What were you looking for? I know how I react when that stuff happens, which is all things of judgment are completely shed. And how can I be of service? Just, just like our family dynamic, which has always been that way. So I, but when you're in a room full of people like that, what do, cause we're, we know like, no, we're, we're usually here for somebody else. So I didn't know what it looked like for you guys because normally we're the ones supporting somebody else. Yeah. You included in whatever situation is everybody all hands on deck. Yeah. So you just, you just threw us all into this whirlwind of now what? Yeah. You know, what? how come he doesn't come to us for things going through depression myself? I understand you just can't. You had been on medication at this point. Oh, yeah. Probably from the time. After you moved out, you guys moved out. I was full-time medication. Yeah. <laughs> Recognize that that, that was just going to be me. <laughs> yeah. If I wanted to stay married and have relationships. Because I had depression that I didn't know how to handle. I didn't trust talking to people therapists about it yeah because we are out in the real world actually making a difference in people's lives <laughs> and you're people, sitting here people don't know like we're basically like emotional emts <laughs> you know what i mean like we are so good at letting people know that we're there to help that complete strangers trust us regularly we we just are that capable for some reason of of letting people know that we are, we are a harm reduction family. So how can we be, we don't throw gas on the fire. We come with the we've, retardants. We've, we've babysat people's kids. We've let, we don't know, like we've done all kinds of things where we're just helping, helping, helping. So when you're not in the helping situation, you don't know how to be on the receiving end. Well, and when you hear somebody, when just the thought of somebody reading notes, to try and help your situation. <laughs> you go, hey. How long you did you go jackass? to school? <laughs> you don't need notes. You, why, hey, you know what? Why don't you go bake me some bread? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be more helpful than you sitting there <laughs> reading. You know, I, there, 
I think they're most so effective the when people. Point when you when you finally started taking medication, then the first time was when uh, you guys just were constantly testing us, constantly not doing what you were supposed to be doing, being where you were supposed to be, and um, I blame Dad for that. And we were on our way home from church, and I could hear myself yelling at him and berating him. And I could see the sullen, sunken look on his face, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't shut up. We. And I knew that he didn't. It wasn't his fault. I knew he didn't deserve to be talked to that <laughs> to that way. I knew that wasn't helpful for anyone. Um, I was having trouble getting out of bed. I was still doing teaching classes, still helping with Andrew. All those things, mm. still functioning, but everything was like doing everything in a weighted coat through Jello. Oh yeah. Uh, I wasn't having fun when we were get together. You know, it's just like those commercials where the lady puts on that fake face and she's walking around the party. Yeah, it's exactly that. Is exactly it. Well, it's just that looming feeling of. Like, it's, the, this is going to end and I'm going to go right back to not having what I want. And not in the sense of like not, you deserve not something. you want something. It's this feeling that just doesn't go away. But that's what I mean is. Why am I? And you beat yourself up because I have no reason to be sad. I have a friend that said, what do you have to be depressed about? The, the, <laughs> when, I, when I say want, it's the absence of the feeling of content. When yeah. you can't, you can't grab a hold of being content. Yeah. You feel so that's like the the want. What when I describe that is like the absence of being able to be content. Like it's like a when you when the workday is done, and you just want to throw on some Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's there's uh. Uh, a completion where you go. I think you meant uh, Yanni, but. <laughs> oh, that's Andre Bocelli. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, so there's an absence of content, like comfort food. Food stops being able to make you feel better. Even though you, you say, if I just eat this, I'll feel better. Mm -hmm. This will make me feel better. Yeah. It's like constantly falling off a cliff. Yes. It's you haven't hit the bottom. You don't have the excruciating pain, but it's the anticipation of pain and not being grounded. You know, what's interesting. And I don't know if it's like how it would be applicable to other other people. But um, in in the skating world, when you're at a skate park and you like when you fall on a like a half pipe, <laughs> there's nothing to grab onto. You just slide. So your hands start to sweat. Because it's trying to get traction. Oh, wow. So when you get to a skate park sometimes, or even just looking at a park that has like a really big half pipe or these really long ramps. Your palms will sweat. Your, your palms <laughs> will sweat because that muscle memory goes, there's nothing to grab onto. <laughs> so like sometimes that when you feel, I would imagine the... Um, anticipation yeah what's the um analogy okay 
right? So the analogy of like feeling like I can't grip anything and people's palms get sweaty, that that's there's like a biological thing to it where like your body starts to go like it freaks. It's that fight or flight thing where you're like, there's nothing to grab onto. There's nothing to, what are we, what are we, what are we doing? But there's no cause. You can't see the cause. Yeah. There's a deeper thing to that. Like animals, uh, who are like feral, Mm -hmm. when you put them in cages, they're, Depression is born because they don't have to hunt. They don't have to do X, Y, Z. So their bodies just go, what are we doing? That's why they just lay around all the time. Cause they're like, what? There's nothing. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? That's a depression. Yeah. So that's, we as a species don't have to do these things because normal, like a normal carbon based life form. Wakes up, we have to f- figure out how to get food, we have to avoid predators, <laughs> and then when we feel safe, we sleep. That's every single day. When that's disrupted, we're, so we're very unique in that way. So depression is because we don't, we are avidly trying to work against our our anatomy, like our biology. Mm-hmm. Having a phone having these supercomputers, having this extra amount of space, having all of these things at our fingertips messes with your instincts, which then messes with your chemical uh, balance. It's not for everybody, but for a <laughs> lot of people. Really? Everybody yeah. can relate to some degree with depression. And that's a sign of like the fact that like our, our biology is, it's evolving and maybe it'll go away one day but for now mm. we have to supplement it with medication because we've screwed up the circle of life <laughs> you know what i mean i yeah that makes sense but back to me being an addict <laughs> <laughs> um i mean you guys would always give me shit for drinking when it wasn't bad. And so I would use that as an excuse. I would log that in my memory to be like, I have a house. I, I, I just got a promotion. <laughs> I'm crushing it. What, how could anyone think that I have a problem? When, when did you guys start to think that something like it was becoming more than just like somebody who's just occasionally enjoying something? Like, when did it start to look like an actual problem to you guys? Uh, we we didn't notice it, f- except for if Kim would call and say, something's, something's wrong with Chris. And we would come and uh, talk you out of a stupor. <laughs> oh, like the, the, okay, yeah. So that's another, like, aspect of, I would, I, every couple of years or once a year, would have a very severe panic attack because um, I was off medication for a long time and not coping with my things. Um, so eventually that stuff bubbles over. But beyond that, it was hard to gra- see if there, anything was actually wrong. Um, we deal with people's drinking differently and um, that we just 
back off. It's repulsive. Dad doesn't like to be on the phone when he knows you've been drinking. Mm. It's like, it just sounds stupid. It's not a real conversation. I don't like talking to drunks. So it's akin to being in traffic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> being- like, I get it. We're here, but I hate it. Yeah. I don't like it at all. Yep. I just want to get off on the next exit ramp so we don't have to deal with this. I get that. Yep. So the final suicide attempt, because the very first one I I look at is like a false pot. Uh, yeah. Is that the right term? False positive? Or like, yeah, I was going to do the thing, but. It didn't come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> Or I thought that I wanted to do the thing. I just wanted some type of way of conveying that Kim and Landon are the most important thing in the world to me. And if I don't have that, then I have nothing. I think is like subconsciously what I really wanted to do. You know, we just wished you'd come to us. You know, help, help us help you. That's all we want to do. But you guys didn't know anything about mental health. We, this happens in mental health a ton, which is why am I not enough? And especially in addiction, people go, why would you choose drinking over me? Why would, why would, what would make you do this? And to some degree, it's not, and I'm not like this in no way. Anybody's listening. This is not an excuse for your bullshit, but to a degree, you it's kind of out of your control. It does like, we don't like that you're not enough, but for some reason you're not in this moment. And you, when we know that whatever you're going to say, we kind of know that you're going to be like, we're supportive. We're here. We're this, we're that. <laughs> but we and didn't like, have yeah, the, well, that, we didn't have the tools. Exactly. It's like when we used to take in um, it's, it's people that, that had mental health problems. We, there's times when we just drove them to the hospital and said, She's thinking about killing herself. Here's the text she sent me. And they would take the person and she, you know, they'd have to deal with it. We'd say, you know, I don't have enough letters behind my name (laughs) Mm. to back up any, anything but giving you food and a place to stay. That's, we didn't have the skills to deal with that. Mm. And we were under the impression that um, the drinking was causing it. Mm. So, yeah, we just felt helpless, basically. Helpless. But this last one, that's when I said, Kim, we're not going to F with this anymore. Meaning what? Meaning we've pushed it off. We've tried to press this down. We've tried to show more support. We've tried to show more love. This is too real this is this was too close and I just lost my nephew oh yeah so it was you know what's crazy about that I remember hearing about that and thinking there's a there's a lot of people that don't buy guns because even though they're not suicidal for some reason it's why people don't go to the like the tops of buildings because they're like, I don't know why, but like just 
the That's thought that I could jump off if I wanted to is too much. So when I heard that about Jim, I was like, that's, that's the only reason I haven't shot myself is because I don't have a gun. And I like always kind of knew that in the back of my head and like, it's because I screwed up the, the fight or flight aspect of myself. But when I was in the hospital, I felt very different this time when I was in the hospital, I was like, I'm just like everybody here. I belong here. And I didn't want to leave. Yeah, the first time you'd say things like, yeah, I just have to change my drinking. Mm. <laughs> you had that denial thing and yeah. Oh yeah, I had I had two shooters of, of alcohol as a reward for not drinking for five days. <laughs> it's insane. It's crazy to think about because now I don't, it's not that I don't have the desire to, I look at that. I look at drinking as like, it sucks that I can't have a normal way of doing that. Cause I remember the, the positive things about it, but for some reason, me, I can't do a normal version of that. So I associate it with like, there's all of these consequences. It's not worth it. It's the same reason I'm not smoking weed is it's like, if I get caught, I could lose the kids. There's like, it's like there's just there's no the ha- the benefits do to not the, the child consequences protection don't agency with Kim. That was so sobering for me. That was sobering and what do you mean? I had to go sit in a place where these people were going to scrutinize to see if those kids would be taken away. Mm. That was horrible. We when you choose to do the things that you do you decide to drink or you decide to try and kill yourself and you endanger a child they take your rights away you 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 don't just mess with your life yeah you mess with everyone even remotely connected to you so what was your thought process after that meeting with that that social service person it's hard to to put into words the thought it's more of what was the the feeling this this sucks (laughs) this is horribly scary i'm gonna let him out okay so we dance around the things quite a bit (laughs) are you trying not to slam me in the face with something no 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 i just i don't know I kind of wish Kim was here because I don't, I don't always know how to articulate. I'm trying to understand because I want someone who's listening, who has a child who is in addiction right now. You want advice for them? I want to know <clears throat> what, pattern? what it looked like for you and then what you did to cope with um, what was going on, how you survived it. Cause there's, we, we we pat addicts on the back all the time for not being addicts anymore. But we I don't think like society builds up the people who are there helping enough. Like there's coins for somebody for me for not drinking for a year or three months or a month or even 24 hours. So but there's no coins for like 
Al-Anon people. There's no coins for the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for the people who have been supporting. I, if you had actually taken your life, it probably would have looked a lot different. You got to turn the microphone. <clears throat> These are professional microphones. I don't know if you knew that. I, they're beautiful. That's what they use at radio stations. Remember when we thought you might be a radio personality? I am. <laughs> right? This is Podcasting, amazing. It's basically the this same is, thing. This is you. This is so you. I'm so good at talking. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, first it's a desperate feeling. It's a, it's like the depression, like free falling. What, what am I going to do that's, that will be wrong? What can I do that will be right? You, um, our first concern uh, probably was the children and Kim making sure that they are supported because you were in the right hands. When you were finally in the hospital, you were in the right hands. Mm. Oh, that's what you felt? Yeah. And that that was the first step Uh I didn't have to be too insistent. Kim knew full well that you needed to be in a treatment center. So. Yeah, I guess I don't know much about that conversation. So um, what when you because before I knew about treatment, all, all I was thinking about was how I'm a crazy person and I'm going to be crazy for the rest of my life. Crazy for the rest of my life. I have to take a little pill to not. <laughs> so to be able to function when when you guys started talking about treatment like what was what was that like it was he's got to go he has to go and your wife just knew the right people to talk to knew the right things to say she's a professional you know so we we didn't really have to do anything but we were willing to do anything and everything uh, it probably plagues me every day. After we went to the the child protection agency visit, and then we came back to your house, and I'm sitting on the couch and looking around at the pictures of you and your family, and just this horrible feeling of what could have been. was just too much. I broke down. Kim had to come over and comfort me. And I felt bad that she's dealing with enough without having to pick her puddle of a mother-in-law up. You know, she's here. She is having to buck up again for somebody else. It's what she does. <sighs> but even um, when Layla spent the night a couple nights ago or last week and I heard her playing with the girls and she said, Oh, pretend like her daddy's not here or something. It was some role play. And it just took me back. It just took me back to that horrible thought of what if that were real for her? Every every time that you tried, all three times, looking at the kids and thinking of the horror that could happen to them from losing a parent. It just tears you up. 
just tears you up. I, I have to go into a grateful place and just say, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that they're not having to deal with that, that their dad is here, that my son is here. And being grateful for, for Hazelden. Oh my gosh, that was such a miracle for all of us. Your brothers, um, Scott and Matt, probably told you they just were so pissed. So pissed. No, I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that's a natural reaction for people. To almost lose somebody when they have this much love and support behind them. It's like a slap in the face. It's like, you know, what are we if we're not love and support for him. Did he just disregard us? You know, we're nothing. You know? People thinking that love is enough, like just you coming home because we showed you love. That I mean, that was like a magic trick. <laughs> it's not a cure. Mm. It didn't, you know, it didn't solve the problems that were going on with you. We were ill-equipped for that so parents listening I would say get educated get listening to these podcasts for me I have only listened to a few of them because you're so foul mouth <laughs> <laughs> um, has helped me understand addiction it's not a choice people, people say well if you just stop drinking if he just stopped drinking, that's not, it doesn't work like that. It's not a switch that you turn on and off. It's not a can that you open or you don't open. It's a, it's a, it's a survival thing. It's the brain saying, I need that. I want that. How do I get it? Right? That's exactly right. That's it. And I was just going to say that, like. You don't. You lose control. You've given an addiction means that you've given over control mm -hmm. to something bigger than you. Well, not even given over. So to, to what you were saying, what you touched on was I, I try to do this in a, as basic form as possible, which is your your brain has a three step system for survival. Um, if you're hungry, the subconscious part of your brain, the midbrain, which is like passive make sure that you're breathing, make sure that you're blinking these things that you don't really think about. They just happen. So that part of the brain said, we need to figure out how to get the body to go get food because we need that to survive. That's our fuel. So they introduced dopamine. So. And if dopamine is, they use pain also, your mind will use pain. Well, that's, that's the thing. So the absence <laughs> of dopamine. You're missing the thing. You haven't hit that receptor. So, so that's like, where the pain ah. comes from. So that's where people like get hangry. Mm -hmm. Like we know we need the food. <laughs> so midbrain says body needs food. Talk to the limbic system. So A, B, C. So A says talk to B. We need food. B says, okay, we're hungry. What are we going to do about it? We go to Taco Bell. We go to Arby's. Screw it. Let's go to Culver's. So <laughs> B says, all right, we need to talk to C and how are we going to get 
to Culver's. We're going to get in the car. We're going to go to Culver's. So that's the three-step thing. It happens very quickly, and it's the most basic way I can think of explaining it. When you introduce substances, it doubles, sometimes more than doubles, the amount of dopamine. So your subconscious brain goes, oh, we are surviving twice as good as we were before. This thing is helping us survive on a like really big scale. So eventually you carve out this path to accommodate for the extra dopamine that you were introducing. And your subconscious brain goes, we cannot think about it anymore. We need to go straight to action. So it skips. So A skips over B and goes straight to C. Subconscious brain goes, we need booze. We need the action part of the brain to go get the booze right now. So there's people who will say like, I was reaching for the bottle and I didn't even want to drink. Like there's a subconscious thing. So there's a real objective biological thing that happens. So when people say, how come I'm not enough? There is an objective thing. You can look at it as an inanimate object, the midbrain. It doesn't care about feelings. It has no emotional attachment to anything. It's a subconscious thing that happens. So it's, they call it the disease of choice. We chose to use the first time, but then we had no choice as to what it was going to do, how it was going to grab us and, and affect us in that way. So I'm, I'm glad that you're the first person that's like said it before I say it. Cause that's, it's such an important thing to be able to have that thing. Cause you take the, you, because deep down you're already saying, I know they know that I love them. They know that we're here to support whenever they need They They should know this. So you can take that part out and go, Oh, something's wrong. Yeah. They've lost that part. Yep. And they don't, they feel that they don't need that part. So it's not about me anymore. It doesn't have to be heroin or cocaine. It can be porn. Yep. It could be. Gambling. Chocolate. (laughs) There's, we're we're going to have a a food addiction counselor on the 27th. I'll make sure and listen to that one because I'm having those. She's from London. (laughs) Really? It's going to be it's going to be a fun one. Are you going to be able to not do an accent when you talk no. to her? Hello. <laughs> so is she cockney or is she Blimey. I, I actually probably don't proper. know what she sounds like. <laughs> she probably uh, sound like Emma. Yeah, who knows. But at any rate, yeah, it's all um whatever makes your life unmanageable that you have, you have now given yourself over See, and I don't even like saying that because addiction has taken over. Right. You don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. I was, I was planning out. How to get the booze. Well, yeah. So I'm not out of it. (laughs) I, I was, I had figured out that I would on my lunch break, go get food at Target and use the, like the Target red card so that I could get cash back. To make it look like... You just got something. I just got something from Target. But really I was getting money so that I could go and get booze. And then I would stockpile and have it in all of these places. So like that that goes to show you like the midbrain is just like, look, feelings? Who has time for feelings? Just get 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 all the stuff so that we never have to be out of it. 
because that if we don't have it, we're not surviving. Yep. So it's a, it's a very objective thing. And I think the big mistake that keeps happening in, in the addiction community is like the higher power thing. It, even though people aren't religious and they say that they have a higher, higher power just means like, I know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, if you relapse, then you're not, you're, the shame level goes way up. Yeah. So not only did you let yourself down, your family down, you let yeah, your higher, higher power, power down. down. <laughs> and if you are a believer, you, so you, this shame just compiles. So, and that comes from not understanding that the higher power's only objective is love and your happiness. That's it. Yeah. So the shame, the shame is introduced by people. When you read about Jesus in the scriptures, he doesn't talk about shaming people. He doesn't point at people and say, you whore, you. Oh, he did talk to the Pharisees about being hypocrites. I love the idea, though, of Jesus talking shit like when he's not around those people. <laughs> Gosh, can you believe how many whores were in that village? <laughs> he didn't have a bit in him. It's like going back to Michael. He, But he did freak out and start whipping people. He didn't whip people. That's. We, we all go to a different place with that in our mind. We all go to that righteous indignation that there's that that's why we can freak out at our kids because Jesus did that one one time. <laughs> and he ran around for the rest of his days. Guys, it was one one time. time. And We're going back to this. Dukes, you get it. Can we just move past it? Yeah. <laughs> the, the Christ is about eliminating shame and the, his whole purpose was to take that on so he would know how to relieve you when you're in those positions, when you, when you're out of control. That's an interesting thought that taking on sins allowed him because he, he couldn't grasp shame because he didn't feel it. He, he, he was perfect. He there didn't. was no need to feel shame. So he had to do this extraordinary thing to be able to feel shame so that he could help people. Yeah. I, I have a hero complex in like everything that I go through is so that I can help other people. Hmm. Like every single time something shitty happens to me, I go, all right, how can I make how this I turn that into a benefit for somebody else? When I, when I tell my story of Michael, I usually finish by saying this, I would not wish this on anyone, but I wouldn't trade what it taught me. I wouldn't trade the depth of, uh, information, the depth of of love I felt from God. There were times that I'd stand in my living room and whisper, scream at God, I can't take this. I just can't take this. People sleeping in the other room, I couldn't scream, scream. Yeah. And I'd say, you have to take this. And then I would feel this, just this warmth come over me. And I'd even feel like little hands on my head and it would just, and I'd go, okay, I can, I can keep going. I can handle this. No. It happened over and over again. You know, it's an interesting thought and I haven't thought to explain it this way until now because there's, there's a, there's a biological scientific way to explain the feeling that you had, but who's to say that God is, is simply a programmer and he knows 
the buttons to push so that you do feel those things. I created you and I know that if I do this, this and this, you're going to feel and that's my way of connecting to you. So he could be a scientist and he just knows how to manipulate. He's absolutely a scientist. Biology and and make people feel (laughs) a certain way. But he understands energy. Everything has its own energy. Yeah. I do have to, obviously, a disclaimer. Um, There is no God. Nothing happens when you die. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you all know, Christopher used to be the most spiritual kid Mm -hmm. in our house. He used to say he had a, a hero in the scriptures that he'd say, I'm like Nephi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. And it, little miracles would happen when Christopher would pray and little miracles would happen. He'd The missionaries would come over and he'd hand him the scriptures and he'd say, we're going to do a scripture flip and you're going to open the scriptures and just randomly and read a verse. Well, no, I would flip it in the air. And then catch it. And did you did you find the page or did they find the page? No. So then I would hand it to them or I would read it. After Depends you, on after you it opened it. Yep. So I flip it up in the air. It's a book. So the pages are going to open. So when you grab it, whatever page it opens on, that's what we read. The top of, of that. And usually the scripture had something very relevant for the moment. That we were in. I, I did notice after a while it stopped happening. So we believe that the scriptures are a way of God to be able to say, talk to you. Mm. They're his words. So um, they're very powerful and can make a difference. But if you don't listen to the words, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> and, sure. it's, and it stops talking to you, stops speaking to you. This was part of my, like, destiny, like, my, like, being, uh, having hypomania and having people tell me that they're having visions of me converting thousands to the church. Who said that? Missionaries. (laughs) Missionaries would say, I see this incredible thing about you and and I remember feeling really overwhelmed one time after somebody had said these things and I kept letting people down so there the amount of shame that happens because people are saying there's you're you're gonna do these great things it's self-inflicted shame let's be real it's self-inflicted when somebody says, if you're a teenager yeah. and someone says, right, you're going to convert thousands of people to the church, you're going to change thousands of people's lives. How is a teenager supposed to cope with that stuff? Yeah. And that has to do with, you can say hindsight, of course, they're self-inflicted, but it's an, you, that's like, there's no way of, of being able to, so not every teenager is told stuff like that. Um, there's a guy that was a member of the church. His dad was like a general authority or whatever, and he walked away from it, um, partly because of those kinds of things. And his uh, one of his grandfathers was an apostle, and he called him to his office. And he looked at him and he said, I see you going on a mission. 
and he went on to be a Buddhist monk. <laughs> oh, I love he's, it. he's way into um, meditating and mindfulness. And through his searching, came back and has been introducing people to this new way of thinking and opening your mind and understanding. So he's LDS, but schooled in Buddhism? He, he understands that it's it's not just those rote things that we, we Mormons say, mm. you know, oh, I see you going on a mission. I see you converting your friends or whatever. Mm. Those are... Those are scripted things that we're, we're spoon fed. So you, when you said <laughs> self-inflicting, you more meant like that didn't need to happen. Right. I got you. Cause I, I went to that counselor and, and told him that. And I was like, it, it's, I don't, I'm not like a superhero. I'm insanely depressed. And he, and he reaffirmed what they were saying. He was like, I'm not a believer, but there is something, something about you, about you, something about you. And I was like, Fuck, <laughs> Beep. I'm trying to be a teenager. I just want to listen to my chemical romance. But you also did a lot of seeking out to help other people. I, I, I you were addicted I, to that. Yeah, for sure. That's the codependency part. Yeah. And, and I, I see you doing great things with this. I see you changing lives. That's why when um, I, I talked about the water thing, the maybe I talked to Kim about it and she's like, he doesn't need that pressure. <laughs> What's the water thing? <laughs> so there's a guy that used to be a promoter. Pull that closer to you. Um, you still want it? You're going to keep this in? He was a club promoter and got thousands of dollars for taking people out and showing them a good time at clubs and you know, getting them $500 drinks and things like that. And he was using and all that himself. And then just woke up one morning and just was like, what is life about? And decided to change. And he uh, called around to charities, you know, not Red Cross, but people, you know, people that were doing fundraising and charity work. Sure. And nobody would take him. He finally um, told somebody, they, they said, yeah, you can come with us. It was Doctors Without Borders. Oh, okay. But, and be our photographer, but you have to pay us. Oh, <laughs> is this the guy that has a YouTube commercial? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I know his story. But keep going because not everybody does. So he he saw that water was the big deal for the third world countries that was causing disease in children and so he he went back and tried to use his promotional skills to get people to donate to charity to this water to getting clean water. It's called clean water, I think. Yeah. To um, third world countries, and he he did all this promotion, and nobody would nobody would contribute to it. Mm. And when he asked people, they said, "Well, it's because." So many of these things are just so that somebody can get, you know, six figure salary. Oh, when they start. Something <laughs> yep, yep, right. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, what, how do we know when our, where our money's going to? Mm -hmm. And anyway, 
he figured out how to do it so that 100% of the money that they raise goes straight to getting a well for a little town. And they have GPS. You can get on the computer and see your well. Oh, wow. <laughs> so once he started guaranteeing people that they could, that their money was going towards something. And he, he said, you know, we couldn't, we had overhead. And um, finally, I talked to some guy that, that was a, you know, well-to-do person. And he talked to somebody else and they, they covered the overhead so that the, mm. so that the donations when they come in. Anyway, just listening to him, you can tell that he's, that he's influential. He has that charisma. That, oh, sure, sure, sure. And that, and I thought, you know, maybe Chris will take his recovery. I get frustrated. I saw that commercial and I heard the producer saying like, okay, so what are we going to talk about? And hearing that guy say, just listen, just listen, please. Yeah. And I, f that makes me so depressed because I, I try so hard with these podcasts that we record either to make you laugh, to raise awareness about mental health, to normalize mental health stuff and to educate people on addiction. And I'm a tiny little thing. Yeah. I don't have the platform that a lot of other people do. And so I, it gets frustrating. And I think about that guy when he says, just listen, because I, I just know I've, I've annoyed people into friendship. Like <laughs> I have to make myself seem of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's to, cause to some people they're like, why you're so friendly. Why knock it off? What are, what are we doing here? <laughs> and I have to be like, look, it's going to be weird for a little bit, but as soon as we're friends, it'll be normal. <laughs> and then when, once that happens, people are like, dude, I, I don't remember life when Without, we're not yeah. friends because I don't, I'm not messing around. Like if I choose to like, befriend somebody it's in. because I want to elevate them too I've always said like every movie that could be casted by the people that they had in mind when they were making the movie so like real life people it doesn't have to be actors you could go out and be very selective and be like you're exactly like the person that we want so just come freaking do it that's what it feels like with my friends is like you like Alex is hilarious. He's also very passionate about mental health stuff. Like, but it took taking photos for people being on a podcast with people. Cause people like hearing their own voice, like especially comics. <laughs> it's a, it, well, I mean, it's a unique feeling and it makes you feel important because you're hearing like high, you sound just like somebody who's on the radio. It's not, it's I'm I'm not you, saying for everybody. I'm saying But you have a way of making people feel comfortable. That that's the only reason I was willing to come I mean is so I have to be persistent by and myself. I have to be <laughs> persistent and annoying to get to this point to where people go, Oh, you you're normal. You just have a really aggressive way of getting 
<laughs> to this point. I mean, you and I are the same in that, you know, once we love somebody, mm-hmm. that's it. That's yeah. that's a bond. That's not, you know, just try and get out of this one. It's not a yeah. stalker situation. It's it's a whole heart and soul. Yeah. All right. We got to end this. We've been recording for three hours. Um, what advice do you have to families who have been affected by addiction? Get educated. Yeah. Get as much education as you can. <clears throat> Be- oh, here, hold on. Okay, yes, please, advice for the family. So You have to let go of your shortcomings, thinking that it's about you and that it's your fault or thinking that it's the child's fault. It's It doesn't matter how it started. They need help. Mm. And, you, and you might have to be annoying and persistent. But if you do that and it still goes wrong, then at least you have that little peace of mind that you did everything you could. I, I just was so in the dark. I, I wish I wouldn't have been so in the dark about it. And addicts can be very persuasive and um, put on really good shows (laughs) and act like there's nothing wrong. Towards the end there, though, Chris, you you, it was so forced for you to talk to the family, be around the family Mm. that, you know, it's it was offensive (laughs) because you were like pretending to be there and to be happy. And you guys could pick up on that? I I really picked up on it. I'm still struggling with it. Still think that you hate me and <laughs> This is the thing that like I was like when I was talking to Kim when she brought up like why haven't you had your parents on like one on one to to talk about the stuff that we were going through? I I don't want you guys to feel like you had done something wrong and it doesn't matter when you make a choice they're leaving when you make a choice you don't get to pick what other people feel or how they react to it Mm. does that make sense yeah if you if you decide to it doesn't matter how i feel about it so take take it personal in the fact that this this is a person that you love and that they need help and don't give up. Uh, um, other people who have lost children, they get on a bandwagon afterwards and that is a healing thing for them too. So. You can, you can take him out. We're, we're wrapping up. <laughs> All right. Um, well, thank you. I love you. And you heard it here. He said, I love you. <laughs> and I'm a grown ass man. And <laughs> All right. So uh, you're the, killing it. I the, love you so much. I love you very much. Um, the way that we end it is um, so like in an AA meeting, somebody's turn. Somebody's going to pass. And they go, yep. All right. And with that, we pass. Mm-hmm.